Well, good morning, church. It's good to be back with you again. Thank you for allowing us to have a little bit of holiday. Uh, we had two good weeks. Uh, first week we spent in Montana with my oldest son and his family. It was nice to be out there. Very refreshing. Uh, Badlands area, Glendive, Montana, is is the the end of the Badlands. Just gorgeous. Be able to walk there. Uh, second week. Um, yeah, that was busy. My daughter, I don't know how she does it. You moms who have little ones at home, she has three little ones, five, uh, two, and one. And so uh, she is busy, and there were times where Grandpa had to just go hide out in the, ba- in the basement because it was like, wow, that and chickens and everything else going on at their house is just crazy, crazy, crazy. But uh, So thank you. We uh, put a lot of miles on the car, but it's good to be back, and thank you for allowing us to do that. Just a little bit, um, what's coming up in the next couple weeks? We have missions conference coming up. We are a denomination that is called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Missions is huge. You've already seen our flags out there, with the exception, Nick, of Greece. I think we have all of the other flags, people that are represented, even Ghana. We have the the Ghana flag up there. Uh, I think we have everybody covered here in the church, uh, but we missions is huge, and where and our our uh, focus on missions is now to the places where it's the toughest to go. And you'll be seeing a video next week on that. Bao He, who was with us a few months ago, she did a video and she's showing us about going to the hard places, and that's what we're talking about. And our missionaries who are coming, if you're watching this online, you won't see this in two weeks. Because our missionaries who are coming are from what is called closed access countries. They are, we can't give you their names right now. We can't put their names up. We can't do anything that would show their faces because they're from a country where they would be, they'd be put in prison for their, for their beliefs. And so we have to protect them. So in two weeks when they come, we're going to ask that you be here because it's not, there's not going to be any filming done of that. And I just want to put a shout-out to the guys, okay? Ladies are doing their big brunch and everything on Saturday, the Saturday of the missions thing. We're going to be doing something, too. My world-famous biscuits and gravy are going to be served on that day. Guys, I want to see you show up, okay? We're going to be doing that. We're going to have the breakfast here, and, it's going to, and we're going to be listening to the, to the male missionary that will be speaking to us. But I want to encourage you. Get out of bed and come out for that. If nothing else, for my world-famous biscuits and gravy. You will really enjoy that. Hey, as we get back into a series on Joseph, it, I've heard from people say, this is my favorite story. This is my favorite story in, in, in all of Scripture. And I, I kind of take a little bit of, of uh, struggle with that because I don't see it as a story. I see it as an account because it's truth. But as I think about a story, I mean... Every one of us, we love a good story, don't we? On our, on our way home last Sunday from Bemidji to here, we stumbled upon an app that Becca had on her phone where there was a book, and we were able to listen to this book. It was amazing. Just the, the book kept holding this carrot out in front of us the whole time, and it kept the story going to the point where when we got home, it's like, okay, we were almost done with the book, and so I drove a little bit further you know, after because I wanted to hear <clears throat> the end of the story. It was that good. And sometimes we hear a story, and we think, oh, wow, this really holds my attention. And, and we know the end of the story for Joseph, don't we? But Joseph doesn't. And there are many people who have said, you know, hey, I, I, can, really, I can really appreciate the story of Joseph. 
Let me read a quote to you. It's a rather long one, but bear with me. The reason that many of us like the story of Joseph is because we find ourselves in his life. True, we're not in the 19th century B.C., but we have all had to wait on God without much clarification as to why. We've struggled with temptation. We've had lousy families. We've felt like God has put us on the shelf. We've had close relationships crumble. We've borne the weight of circumstances so crushing that nothing but the time and the mercy of God could mend. Joseph's life shows us how waiting on God relates to all of these. God revealed, watch this, God revealed his plan for Joseph's future, but he didn't reveal how his will would come about. Joseph's confidence had to be put in, God's, in God, not God's plan, and so it is with us. We want God's plan so we can trust the plan. God, however, hides the plan so we will trust him, and so we will wait on him. I thought that was an incredible quote. Having to wait on God, having to trust in a God that we cannot see. And this morning, I want to I break this message up into three different parts. I want to look at the hand of God. Then I want us to see the kindness of God. And finally, we're going to begin to get a picture of the plan of God. We're not going to get the whole picture. We're going to see more of that showing to us next week. But we're going to look at it in those three ways. Because the last time that we saw Joseph and his family, where were they? Remember, this family's a mess. This family was a powder keg waiting to explode, and it has exploded. And the last time we saw Joseph and his family, what was going on? The brothers, with the money that they had sold Joseph for, the 20 shekels, that's the price of a crippled slave. With the money jingling in their pockets, they watched the dust of a Midianite caravan go south to Egypt, with Joseph probably, no doubt, at the end of that caravan, bound and on his way to Egypt. And they're thinking in their minds as they see the dust recede into the, into the south, good riddance, out of sight, out of mind. They're never going to see him ever again. Oh, were they in for a surprise. It will be a couple of decades, but they will see Joseph again in a much different way. And you know, these brothers will be different as well. But what about Joseph? He doesn't have a clue as to what's going on. He's a 17-year-old kid at this time. He doesn't have a clue as to what's going to happen to him. But he is in the center of what God wants. And sometimes, this is hard, but sometimes being in the center of what God wants means that we walk through difficult times. Faith that cannot be shaken is often faith that has been shaken. Faith that cannot be shaken is often faith that has been shaken. It was the leathery old saint, A.W. Tozer, who said, before God could ever use a person greatly, he often wounds him deeply. We don't like that, do we? But we begin to see an unfolding in Joseph's life of God doing a work, of God maturing this young man into the man that he wants him to be. And it's not easy. Because where does Joseph end up? <clears throat> we read in verse 1. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I'll just put this up there. But I want to change this. Because as I was practicing, it was like, that's not true. The Lord was with Joseph during some of his <clears throat> darkest days. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Lord was with Joseph in all of his days. <clears throat> as the Lord is with you. No matter what it is you may be facing right now, 
children, health, marriage, job, neighbors, relatives, siblings, whatever you may be facing right now, God is the one who is with you. God is the one who's always been with you. He says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be, before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye. He said he knew you, and he knew you completely, and all of your days were ordained. He had a plan for you. He is with you, and he is with you right now in the midst of what it is that you are going through. Amen? Amen. I mean, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet this morning. We find out where Joseph is. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of, Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So Joseph is sold. Joseph is sold to this guy who's the captain of the guard. Is God's hand in this? It is. It is. Oftentimes, we don't see the hand of God. I'm good. Oftentimes, we don't see the hand of God until we take time to... Go back and look. Can I urge you to do that? Can I urge you today? I know the Packers aren't playing today, so that's a good day to do it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's been a tough season already. Uh, But to go back, to go back and just look at your life and to see where the hand of God was at, the very fact that you are here this morning is not a coincidence. It's the hand of God moving in your life. Even if you say, well, I don't believe in God. I'm only here because of so-and-so. God believes in you, and God desires to have a relationship with you. And God is at work in your life whether you acknowledge him or not. Jesus said, "All my father is constantly at his work, and I am also doing his work. So Joseph is where God wants him to be. It may not have been when he wanted it, wanted to be, but he's where God wanted him to be. Look at this. It says here, now the Lord was with Joseph. Watch that phrase. That is a huge phrase. The Lord was with Joseph. This book ends. All of chapter 39 starts with this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, and it will end with this phrase. The Lord was with this guy. He had his hand in his life. There was somebody in my life, a pastor's wife, who stabbed her finger into my chest and said, Joel, aren't when are you going to do with your life what God wants? God has laid his hand on you. And you are running away from him. Boy, nothing could be farther, nothing could be closer to the truth than that. I was. And God has laid his hand on you as well. The gracious hand of the Lord, as we sang this morning, and as we'll see. But where is Joseph? The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Stop there for a second. Why is Joseph in the house? This isn't probably right away that he went to the house. Think about this for a second. Joseph's 17 years old. He doesn't speak the Egyptian language. He doesn't know the Egyptian culture. He, in fact, the Israelites, were, the Hebrews, were hated by the Egyptians. So where does a 17-year-old kid who doesn't speak the language, who doesn't know the culture, and who was hated by the people, where does he generally end up at? Not in the house. He ends up with the most menial of tasks that you can have. And what are the most menial tasks usually? Those that involve animals. And usually the north end of the southbound animal is what, usually what was going on. And Joseph's in the house. How, how, how does that happen? How does he get there? You know that phrase there, 
The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. I love what Tony Evans says. Tony Evans says, the Lord blesses that which brings him glory. God blessed Joseph because Joseph chose to give God glory through his life. How? Think about this. Joseph has no prospects. He has no prospect of ever going home. He has no prospect of ever changing his station in life. He is a slave. And he's going to be a slave in his eyes for the rest of his life. He has no hope of advancement. He has no hope of ever getting married. Yet, he's in this situation where he is, where he is a slave. And it says that he's in the house of his master. How does he end up there? I wonder if it wasn't the way in which he lived and in the way in which he worked. Because we read in Colossians, it says, whatever you do, whether you were a mom of three kids, whether you work at a gas station, whether you're at a bank, whether you are working for the police department, whether you are working as a, as a salesman where you're on the road, whatever it might be, it says, whatever you do, work at it with what? With all your heart as working for who? Working for the Lord. Some of us work for somebody who looks like a Till of the Hun with a dress on, you know? It just, that, that person is just like, you hate going to work because this person just makes your life miserable. It's what we're saying, what Scripture is saying is where we're not supposed to look at them as though we're working for them. But look at it in a different way as though we were working for God. And I tell you what, we would work a whole lot differently if we knew that this is, I'm doing this for the Lord. But we should be doing it in that way. And he says, for we know, since we know that we will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ that you are serving. I wonder with Joseph if there wasn't a time when he made that decision. I have no choice or I have no options. I can't go home. I have no place. I have no option of advancement. I have no option of getting married. I have no option of ever not being a slave. But Joseph did have something, didn't he? And what he has is the same thing that each one of us has, and that's the Lord. And Joseph chose to honor God. He chose to honor God. Look what, he, look what it says. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes. Watch that. That is a key phrase. That's going to pop up three times. This idea of seeing is going to pop up three times in this chapter. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. The Lord's blessing was on him. Why does God bless us? Okay, Joel's back. This is an all play. Okay, so that we can be a blessing. God blesses you, and think about it. We say, well, God hasn't blessed me. Oh, yes, he has. That breath that you took, that house that you have, that the car that you drive, that when you put the key in the, in the I don't, we don't even hardly put the key in anymore. We just touched the button. We are blessed beyond our ability, and we are called to be a blessing, to share that blessing. We're not meant to keep that blessing all to ourselves. 
But did you catch something in there? I'm going to go back a slide here. The master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything that he did. Everything that he did. It was evident. It was evident to Potiphar that the hand of God was on Joseph. It was evident. Now, it absolutely begs the question here. There was something about Joseph's life that just stood out. And it was evident in Joseph's life that the Lord's hand was on him. So it makes me ask the question, so is it evident in our lives that the Lord is with us? Is it evident in the way in which you speak? Is it evident in the way in which you act that the Lord's hand is on you? See, there's something about Joseph. We're going to dig this out a little bit more. But it was evident. It was, he's not even a God follower. He doesn't even believe in the God of Israel. And yet it's evident that the Lord's hand was upon Joseph. Is it evident in ours? Because it should be. Because when you become a Christian, who comes to live within you? It is Christ. It should be evident. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You're not who you were. You are a child of the Most High God, and God has laid His hand in you. God's blessing is on you. God's kindness is on you. God's favor is on you. Our lives should look differently. Our speech should be differently. The way in which we treat people should be different. It should be evident. Long before the earth's crust, or maybe when the earth's crust was just hardening, I had red hair and a mustache, and uh, I think the Dutch blood in me, my mom's name was Dantema, so I carried the Dutch blood on my mom's side, but my skin, if I don't put on sunscreen, uh, my, if I were to lift up my pants legs, you would scream and go out screaming in the night because my legs are very white. And for a long time, I never wore shorts because I was ashamed of my legs. Finally came a point where I, was, I don't care. I, I am not going to roast with, with pants on well, just because I, I'm afraid of what somebody might think of my legs. But because of my white skin, I have to put on the... In Hong Kong, it was nice. We could get 100 SPF in Hong Kong, and I would have to put that on because it would be very evident very quickly that I was in the sun without sunscreen if I didn't put it on. And is it evident in our lives? You know, it was evident in the apostles' lives. Jesus ascends, and Peter and John take the helm of, of the early church. And what does it said very early on? What does it say? The chief priests, they noticed that they were ordinary men unschooled, ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. It should be evident. It should be evident in the way in which we live, in the way in which we work, because we're not serving a, a normal human master. We're not just doing it to put bread and butter on the table. We're doing it as an act of worship to the Lord. And Joseph, he continues to do this. And Potiphar leaves everything in his charge. Think about that. He turns it over to, to whom? Not an Egyptian. To a, I don't think he's 17 years old anymore either. He's probably a little bit older and a little bit more mature at this point. But he says he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Joseph was trustworthy. Hold on to that. Joseph was trustworthy. He was a man of integrity. Guys, 
if there is one thing that our, our ladies are looking for in us, it is integrity. That when we say something, that is what we mean. When we say we're going to do something, that's what we do. If we let's say we're not going to do something, then we don't do it. Integrity. Integrity in the way in which you act. And ladies, that's the same for you as well. That when you say something, when you do something, that there is integrity that is behind it. That last little line. Joseph was well-built and handsome. When did you hear that the last time? For those of you who are, are new, um, we talked about this, and there was a phrase. There's somebody in, in his line who carries that almost that same phrase. It's his mom, Rachel. We, remember, we, we, what did we hear about Rachel? She was a knockout, beautiful in form, and, and in, you know, she was just beautiful all the way around. And Joseph's the same. I mean, the guy was a stud. I mean, he's just, he's well built. He's handsome. This guy probably turned more than a few heads. But there is something more. Because beauty is skin deep. There is a handsomeness. There is something about his personality that comes from within. You can have the muscles. You can have the beauty. But if you don't have the character that's behind it, and that's what Joseph has. He has the character that's behind it. He has a character. But remember when Hebrew tells us something about a person, it's there for emphasis. Because while Joseph has been seen by Potiphar, he's also been seen by Potiphar's wife. His handsomeness does not go unnoticed on her part. There's the second time that we see this idea of being seen. And it says, after a while, his master's wife took notice of him. Okay, there's the second time. And she says, come to bed with me. This is the only thing we ever hear her saying to Joseph. What does this tell us about her character? Hold on to that thought in a minute. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I. I have been given a trust. A trust to which I must prove faithful. You have been given a trust as well. To which you must prove faithful as well. As well. Joseph's a steward. As we are stewards of everything that God has given us. And my masters will withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? of Joseph for a second. What are his prospects again? Do you have any prospect of going home? Mm. Any prospect for advancement? Nope. Any prospect of ever not being a slave? Nope. Ever, any prospect of getting married? Mm. And then this happens. Who's going to know? Right? Who's going to know? But the character of Joseph keeps coming to the surface. Because God would know. God would know. 
and we don't play games with God. We may fool people, but we don't fool God, do we? And she, but here's the thing. You may stand up against temptation. You may win the battle once, but the temptation didn't stop. She is a woman who is not used to saying, hearing no. Oh, oh yeah, Here, here's, I missed something. Sometimes God sets, not sometimes, God sets up boundaries in our lives, doesn't he? And it's good. We should all have boundaries in our lives as well. Uh, when I went on holiday, I set up a few boundaries as to how it is, you know, if, you know when, when you call me, if there's, if there's an emergency, blood, death, fire. Those were the three reasons that I wanted to be called during, during holiday. I, I set up some boundaries, set up some parameters. But God sets up boundaries in our lives too, doesn't he? He says there are things that we can have and things that we can't have. Why does he do that? Does he know what's best for us? He does, doesn't he? Because sometimes we, we would think, oh, well, this is okay. I, I, I can have this. And we don't see the, 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 the absolute destruction that that can cause in our lives. Ask anyone who started down the road of pornography if they wish that they could go back and change that. The destruction that that can have in a, in a life and in a marriage and in a home. It's destructive. And God says, there are some things that God says no. Somebody once told me that God's no's are because he has a better yes. And God sets up those parameters, not because he wants to be a killjoy, but because he knows that there are certain things that if we were allowed to have them, they would destroy us. Early on in the Garden of Eden, God says, you're free to eat from any of the tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And where does, the, where does Satan attack? Where does the serpent attack? He said, you won't surely die. You won't surely die because God knows on the day that you eat of that fruit, you will become like God, knowing both good and evil. And what do they do? Well, God's obviously holding out on us. And God's not holding out on us. And God wasn't holding out on Joseph. But Joseph needed to learn to wait on God. God had a plan for his life, and he was in the midst of that plan. Uh, but, you know, with, with Joseph, um, this, this lady, uh, she was not willing to take no for an answer. And finally the day came when, when they were all alone. It came, finally the day came when they were all alone. And she says again, what? Come to bed with me. The only thing we hear coming out of her mouth. The only thing that she wants. And Joseph stands up to that. Joseph stands up to that. And when she comes, when she grabs his cloak, what does he do? He leaves the cloak in her hand. And she tells a story. It says, when her master heard the story, uh, just forgive me for a minute. Let me just do something. I, need to, I think we may have a slide that's out of place. I missed the slide, so it's okay. We're going to just leave this one up here for a second. When, when the master comes home and she tells him the story, she's still got the cloak. And it says he burned with anger. Why? Why? Chuck Swindoll, remarking on this passage, has said, I wonder if it wasn't because he knew his wife's character and he also knew the character of Joseph. I 
got a hunch this wasn't the first time that something like this had happened. But was God with Joseph? He was. He was. Watch what happens. Normally, normally when, when a servant would try to rape his master's wife, what would happen to him? What do you think would happen to him? He wouldn't be long for this earth. I mean, he would be dead. Right? Potiphar doesn't do this. Why? Do you think he might know the truth? I got a hunch. But instead, he puts him in the king's prison for the king's prisoners. And Joseph ends up there. Joseph did what he was supposed to do, and yet he ends up in jail. How many times have you done something, you've done the right thing, and you end up still getting some, something happening to you? You you did what you were supposed to do. You took your kids to church. You took them to Sunday school. You lived in such a way before them that Christ would be seen, and they still walk away from the Lord. You did what you could in your marriage. You sought to love your spouse, and your marriage still failed. You did what you were supposed to do, and you still lost your spouse to an illness. Sometimes things happen in our lives, and the last thing, and we're going to deal with this more next week, but the last thing we want to do, we want to do is we, the last thing we should do at that point is to say that God doesn't care. Joseph does what, what honored God, and God honors faithfulness. Now, this is almost uh, doesn't pertain, but it does in a way. Listen, um, I was a junior in, in college at Crown. I had Mr. T. Winkle was my church history teacher. And he came to me towards the end of the semester. And he came to me. He said, Joel, he said, uh, can I talk to you for a couple minutes? And I said, sure. He said, your final paper, the one that was worth like 60% of our grade, he said, you, you haven't turned it in. <laughs> I, I began to sweat because it's like, yes, I did. I, I did turn, I mean, it was a huge paper that we had to write, and I did turn it in. I said, uh, Dr. T. Winkle, I said, I, I turned that one in. And he said, I, I, don't, I, don't have any, I don't have anything for you. I said, well, I, I know I turned it in. And he said, well, do you have any of your notes from when you wrote the paper? And I said, no, I threw those all away. Truth be told, Becca would type my papers. I didn't know how to type. And she would throw them many times back at me and say, rewrite this. I can't even read what you're doing here. I, I, did, I had to go to community college to learn how to, how to type. Here I am, 20-something years old with all these 17-year-old kids at community college learning how to type. Anyway, so I said, I, I, I don't have any of that stuff left over. And he said, well, then I have no choice. He said, I have to give you a failing grade. Did that affect my GPA? Wow, because I got a failing grade in the class. I mean, or not a failing grade, but a D in that class, which affected my GPA. And I thought, I, Lord, I did the right thing. I wrote that paper. It was Without a doubt, I wrote it. And so I, I thought, well, I'll leave it in your hands. It's a year later, and I'm getting ready to graduate. I graduated in December of 87. And I'm getting ready to graduate. And I see Mr. T. Winkle in the hallway, and he says, come, come to my office. He said, I need to talk with you. Well, what's going on? I don't have him for a teacher anymore. And he said, you'll never guess what happened. He said, they were in my office. And they said, they were doing some renovating. And he said, I have these fireproof filing cabinets. And they came in, and they moved the filing cabinets so they could do some work behind there. 
And he said, what do you think we found? And he showed me my paper. I knew I'd written that paper. And, and he said, I, I've talked with the dean. He said, I've corrected your paper. He, or he said, I've graded your paper. I've talked with the dean. And your GPA will reflect this change. It was like, thank you. But all those stories, that story turned out well. Some of ours don't. The illness continues. The marriage breaks up. The kids still don't come back to the Lord. You didn't get the promotion. You lost the job. Whatever it might be. But in those times, please don't say that God doesn't care. Because God deeply cares. And God's hand is still in that. Because God honors faithfulness. And that's what I would call us to in the midst of difficult situations to be faithful. Because Joseph ends up in prison. He's falsely accused, but he's not forgotten by God. Here we see the kindness of God showing up. He is falsely accused, but he's not forgotten by God. And we see in this that it says, The Lord was with him. There it is again. There's your second bookend. The Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness. That word kindness is an interesting word in Hebrew. It's the word chesed. And the word chesed, it's, it's not just kindness. It's the faithful love of God. It's a love that says that even if I turn my back on God, he won't turn his back on me. And look at the faithfulness. Look at the kindness of God. The kindness of God, he says, he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was responsible for all that was done there. That sounds similar to anything else? That's what he did at Potiphar's house. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything that he did. Character. It keeps rising to the top. It keeps showing up in his life. Even though he's in prison with no hope of getting out of prison, no hope of going home, no hope of advancement, no hope of getting married, he is still choosing to be a man of character and a man of integrity. What Joseph doesn't realize is he is in the exact place that God wants him to be. That's a difficult one. Because you may be in a place today where you say, I don't like this. It isn't fun. It isn't comfortable. I want out, and I want out now. I can remember uh, my son and wife picking blackberries at our, black raspberries at our, our house in Minnesota. And we had, we had garter snakes. They don't really do a lot. I, I don't have a problem with snakes. My wife, she has a problem with snakes. Becca does not like snakes. And both my second son and Becca were in picking black raspberries in the, in the black raspberry patch. And my second son stuck his hand out, and we had a really big garter snake in the, in the garden. He was the size of a broomstick and about as round as a broomstick. And my son reached out and Right there was a snake, and he was like, out, 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 get me out of here, get me out of here. And some of us feel like that right now. We want out. I don't want to be here. And not realizing that the place that you are right now is where God wants you to be. Why is Joseph in the place that God wants him to be? What's going to happen here? He's going to meet his ticket out of prison. But it isn't going to come in his time. It's going to come in God's time. You see, that's the thing. We say, okay, okay, okay. okay. All right, God, I, I realize I'm in the place that you want me to be. Okay, okay, I get that. It's not comfortable, but God, can you please speed it up and get me out of here? Isn't that what we want? 
But yet it's in that place that God does some of his greatest work. This is where the kindness of God shows up. The kindness of God is all over our lives, isn't it? Just take a moment to think of the kindness and the way in which God has been at work in your life. I got a hunch with Joseph. I mean, the guy's amazing looking. But I think there is a kindness that shows up in him. Because just like blessing, kindness is poured into our lives. And you know, on a Sunday morning, we can, we can hear the word of God and we can be like a sponge. We, kind of, we soak it all up and you know, we walk out of here and it's all in here. But it never gets a chance to come out. And God has poured his kindness into us. Does, does kindness speak? There's a guy, I showed our, our, um, <clears throat> our uh, small group this week. Um, There's a guy from the UK, his name is Troy Hawk. Uh, amazing, amazing. His gift, what he does is he stands out in front of, in front of places and greets people. And, and, th- and he's standing out in front of the Home Depot in the UK, and, they, and, and just watch him, Troy Hawk, don't look at it now, Troy Hawk, Hawk with an E at the end. The guy is amazing, just how he encourages people when they walk through the door. He's at Home Depot. And at Home Depot, finally this lady comes out and she says, what are you doing? And he said, I'm from the Greeters Guild. I'm I'm here just greeting people. We don't want you to do that. What don't you want me to do? We don't want you encouraging people. We've had complaints from people. About what? About you encouraging them. And it's like, really? Really? When I watch this guy, I just see not only the kindness, but the way in which he encourages people. And you think about it, the kindness that God has poured into your life, the blessing that God has poured into your life, he never means for that to be something that we keep to ourselves, but that we share. Because, man, do people need to know the kindness of God. I think that, too, is one of those, I don't think I know that is one of the things that's shown through in the life of Christ as well. And as Christ followers, the kindness of God is something that should be seen in our lives and our actions. He has no prospect of going home. He has no prospect of advancement. He has no prospect of changing his status, of getting married. And yet he continues to be a man of integrity, a man of character. If ever there was a candidate for, for, somebody, who would, uh, um, for somebody who would have a, have a pity party, it would be Joseph. Think about it. Sold by his brothers. Sold into a house where he did everything that he was supposed to do. Then he's falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. And now he's sitting here in prison. If anybody was at a place where they should have had a bad attitude, it was Joseph. But yet, he continued. I'm going to go through that. But yet, he continues to wait on God. And while he does, and what he does while he waits is life-changing. He refuses to go down the slippery slope of bitterness. Which when life hands us some really tough stuff, that's an easy slope to go down. 
to have a why me, to have a poor me attitude, and he doesn't. He, he chooses, he continues to do that. He doesn't refuse to have a poor me attitude. But what he does is he waits because God's plan is beginning. It's, all, it's been going on. But God's plan is going to really take shape now. Give you a little hint for next week. In prison, Joseph is going to meet two men. One is the chief baker and one is the cupbearer. The cupbearer was like the confidant of the king. Both of them did something. They got out of favor with the king and he throws them into prison. Joseph meets them. They both have a dream. Joseph interprets their dream correctly. One of you is going to die and one of you is going to be raised back up. When you do, remember me. So the dude that, that gets raised back up, what does he do? He promptly forgets all about Joseph. And Joseph spends two full years. When Hebrew does that, it means two full years he had to wait. And some of us are in this place of waiting. Well, what do you do while you're waiting on God? Maybe you're waiting for a child. Maybe you're waiting for a child to come home. Maybe you're waiting for something to be resolved. Maybe you're waiting for good results on, a medical, uh, on your medical. Or you're waiting for something to happen and you're waiting. What you do while you wait is so important. What you do while you wait is you continue to wait on the Lord and you continue to draw closer to God. Faith that is unshakable is oftentimes faith that has been shaken. And someone has said that the greatest test of our faith is the test of time. And for some of us, that's where we're at. We're in this time of waiting. Loved ones, God's got you in his hands. His plan for you will be carried out. He loves you, and he deeply cares about what you're walking through. He's not a God who just simply creates the world, spins it, and walks away. He is a God who is deeply involved with your life, with your marriage, with your kids, with your job. He's deeply involved. Now, going back to reading and stories, I love to read, but anymore as I've gotten a little bit older, especially after being in Hong Kong, uh, I, I, I don't read as much as, much as what I listen to books. In, in Hong Kong, I had a 40-minute commute both ways, and so I had a, a subscription to Audible, and I listened to a lot of books. Everything around me was in Cantonese, and so it was just easier for me to hear something in English, and I, I burned through a lot of books. The kind of books I really, really like are spy novels, clean spy novels. Now, that's not easy to, to always find. And there's a certain author that I like, and I've read uh, most of his books. The other day, I was looking through and thinking, okay, what can I listen to while I'm on holiday? You know, to spend a few, I didn't get to listen to anything while I was on holiday. It was busy. But I looked and thought, ah, I don't think I've ever listened to that book. And so I picked it up. Oh, my goodness. From the moment I got it, it's like, ooh, I just got to listen to just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Because the whole time, it continues to put this carrot out in front of me. And I don't know how the end of the book is. The lady that I sleep with, she always reads the end of the book to see how things turn out. The way that, the, Becca, the lady that I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Becca always reads the end of the book. And it's like, why do you do that? It's just, well, I got to know. I got to know what happens. And in our lives, 
We can't go to the back of the book. We don't know how the back of the we don't know how our lives turn out. And it's the same with Joseph. Joseph doesn't have a clue as to what's going to happen with his life. We can go and we can look ahead and see what's going to happen to Joseph. But Joseph doesn't. He has to wait on God. God has a plan. And see, just like that quote, we want to know the plan so that we'll, okay, do I want to do what God's plan is? And God hides the plan from us because he wants us to trust not in the plan, but in him. And we don't know the end of our story. But we can be assured of this, that God's hand is in the story. And God isn't done with your story yet. And God is at work in the difficult times. There are going to be some really great days for Joseph. But he's going to walk through some of the toughest times of his life during these next two years that we're going to be talking about next week. What he did while he waited is huge. He continued to trust in God. And he continued to walk with integrity. As it closed today, I'm going to go to a time of prayer here in just a moment. But I would encourage you, where you're at right now, some of you are walking through some difficult stuff. I I don't know uh, everything what's going on in our lives, and that's good. But in this time, know that God has a plan. You You are part of God's plan. He hasn't forsaken you. In this time, remember the kindness of God. Take the time to go back and just, maybe it's taking a walk. We live in an absolutely drop-dead gorgeous place, folks. We have Lake Michigan to walk by. It is absolutely beautiful. Take some time, young guys. Go to Kohler Andre and just walk that beach and just think back to the hand of God and the kindness of God on your lives. And think about a way, how can I show kindness? How can I be an encouragement to those around me? How can I share the blessings that God has poured into my life? How can I share those with those who desperately need that word of blessing? And then to remember the plan of God. And God doesn't usually move very quickly because it's during this time that he's shaping and molding our character. But God is with you. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word this morning. Every once in a while in the scriptures, you you give us a glimpse of, of somebody with character. And it's refreshing. And God... You didn't leave that there as, as, as a, a reminder of how we'll never be that way. You left it there as a reminder of what a life given over to the Lord can look like. And Lord, you call us to lay our lives into your hands. God, for some of us, we are, we get it. We, we did what we were supposed to do, and it exploded in our face. That you are the God who honors faithfulness. And Lord, you see where we have been faithful. You are the God who also forgives. Because sometimes the situations that we're in are because of decisions we made. You said no, and we said yes, and I'm going to have it. 
And we are living with the results of decisions we made. But even in that, God, your word brings hope. Your word says that you are the God that can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And God, I just pray the blessing of your hope over ones today who have lost hope, who have given up hope that a child will ever come back to the Lord, who have given up hope on a marriage ever being restored, who have given up hope on, on even having a relationship with you that means something. God, you are a God who can work, who is at work in our lives in powerful ways that we do not recognize. Someday we will see, but right now we see as through a, a glass dimly. But someday we will see, God, where it is that your hand has been so present. God, thank you for your kindness. If you were to retract your kindness and your mercy in our lives, my goodness, what would life be like? And I pray that, God, you would remind us this week of your kindness towards us and that you would enable us to not only be people of character, but people of kindness. Jesus, would you live through us? And I pray, too, that while we wait, that, God, we won't jettison our faith, but that you will cause our hearts to grow deeper with you. Kind Father, I, I pray. I pray for your people, Israel. Asking that, Lord, that soon things would be done there. I pray, God, that your hand of blessing would be upon your people. You tell us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And you do that, Lord. We pray for our nation. God, as a people, we've walked away from you. And Lord, I pray for your mercy. And that once more, you will bring us back to you. I pray that God is each and every one leaves this place today. I pray that they will leave knowing that your hand of blessing is on them. And that blessing will, will pour forth from them unto others around them. I thank you, God, for your hand. I thank you for your plan. And I thank you for your kindness. Walk with us while we wait. And I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. It's been good to be back home with you. You are precious. You are never far from our minds and our prayers. And we love you. And we pray the blessing of God, the blessing of his hope, his peace, and his joy in and over your life today and this week. May the Lord go with you. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.